We will not stop until every vote is counted. Thank you. Thank you. Is that so hard? Apparently so. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, in Cottage Grove on KSO, and in Eugene on KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WP, uh, uh, WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI. Round Mountain, California's KKRN. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. And yes, we stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on fine internet affiliates like the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Well, the political apocalypses, apocalypsi, uh, I don't know, uh, that I had predicted would follow in the immediate days following the November 6th midterm do in fact appear to be coming and or are already here in many ways, I am sorry to say, as I'd been hoping yet again to be wrong on that prediction while finding myself yet again right about such things. You got to stop that. I know. Believe me, I take no joy in it. I really don't. Uh, So we've got some big News on a number of fronts to get to uh, regarding election results in not only a number of House races that have now been called since we last spoke, but some big news in several gubernatorial and Senate races in Florida and Arizona and Georgia. We'll be getting to that in detail shortly. Also, later in the show, that voice you just heard was Desi Doyen. Hi, Des. Hello. She will be back with... um, Our latest Green News report, our special coverage of the midterm elections with uh, a number of big wins and a number of big losses for the environment in the 2018 midterms. But with all of that election news and a bunch of other breaking news here, I had to make an audible here just before airtime, basically, to reschedule my planned guest so we can cover... The uh, important election news with the detail that you've come to expect from the broadcast and at least hit some of these important breaking stories that the rest of the media are certainly covering. 
but that also are important and do deserve at least some attention here today, even if it means we need to fly through them much more quickly than I wish we had to. So let's start with what one CNN anchor reportedly described today as the worst mass shooting in America since 12 days ago. Using a smoke bomb and a handgun, a hooded Marine combat veteran dressed all in black opened fire during college night at a country music bar out here in Southern California on Wednesday night, killing 12 people and sending hundreds fleeing in terror before apparently taking his own life, according to authorities on Thursday. The motive for the attack on Wednesday night uh, is still under investigation. The killer was identified as a 20-year-old, 28-year-old Ian David Long. Note he is not a Muslim. He is not a Mexican. But yes, another born and bred American white guy, apparently. He was a former machine gunner and veteran of the war in Afghanistan. He has, uh, had been interviewed earlier in the year by police at his home. Uh, after an episode of agitated behavior that they were told might be post-traumatic stress disorder, according to AP. Gunfire reverberated through the Borderline Bar and Grill, which is a popular hangout for students from the nearby California Lutheran University. This is out in Thousand Oaks, California, a wealthy suburb just outside of L.A. County in Ventura County. Uh, where, I should note, gun violence is very rare. The dead included 11 people inside the bar and a veteran sheriff's sergeant who was the first officer inside the door responding to the gunfire. Uh, It was the nation's deadliest such attack since 17 students and teachers were killed at a Parkland, Florida high school nine months ago. That was only nine months ago. Wow. It also comes less than two weeks after a gunman massacred 11 people at a synagogue in Pittsburgh. In neither of those cases either, I'll remind you, was the shooter a foreigner or a Muslim, despite the years-long obsession uh, in this nation uh, and uh, from those who lead it on the right who have uh, this obsession they have had in targeting those communities instead of, apparently, the ones that are actually putting the nation in uh, in danger as they ignore the far greater threat that they have been uh, warned about by law enforcement for many years. White American extremists. And yes, that includes veterans suffering from PTSD. Democratic governor-elect Gavin Newsom out here in California in his first public appearance since winning office on Tuesday lamented the violence. He said, you can't go to a bar or a nightclub. You can't go to a church or a synagogue. He could have added movie theaters, schools, take your pick, concerts. He says, it's insane uh, is the only way to describe it. The normalization That's the only way I can describe it. It's become normalized, he said. The shooter was said to have been armed with a Glock 21, a 45 caliber pistol designed to hold 10 rounds, but it had an extended magazine capable of holding more ammunition, which is illegal in California. In uh, April, officers were called to his home where deputies found him angry and acting irrationally. The sheriff Uh, said that officers were told he might have PTSD because of his military service. 
Uh, it should also be noted here that the gunman first shot a security guard standing outside, uh, then went in and opened fire on the staff members and the patrons, according to the sheriff. So an armed law enforcement official was killed, as well as a security guard who was the first target of the shooter. I guess the NRA and Donald Trump and Republicans are running out of anything other than thoughts and prayers at this point to offer in response to these grotesque and uh, seemingly worsening incidents of uh, gun violence and mass shootings. The uh, the DNC uh, chair, uh, Tom Perez, released a uh, statement following the shooting Uh, says this is not normal this was not inevitable again our hearts are broken by tragedy there must uh, be more that we can do we can act we can call upon our elected leaders to work together to end the bloodshed he said every american should be able to live their life free from fear of experiencing a massacre like this but early reports have indicated he said that among the patrons at the borderline bar were survivors of last year's Las Vegas massacre. Enough is enough, he says. It's time to end this madness. I'll just add one quick note, a data point here that uh, Holly Figueroa Riley of Washington Post notes that today is the 313th day of 2018. It is the 307th mass shooting this year. Hmm. Well, I guess we're falling off. That sounds like there was uh, six days when uh, everything was fine. Yeah. Uh, In other disturbing news today, 85-year-old Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg fractured three ribs in a fall in her office at the court and is in the hospital uh, today, the court said. The court's oldest justice fell Wednesday evening. She was admitted to the hospital for treatment and observation. In her absence, the court went ahead on Thursday with the courtroom ceremony, welcoming new Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who joined the court last month, President Donald Trump, and new acting Attorney General Matthew Whitaker were on hand for that ceremony. Ginsburg has had a series of health problems. She broke two ribs in a fall back in 2012. She's had two prior bouts with cancer had a a stent implanted to open a blocked artery in 2014. Uh, But she has never missed a Supreme Court argument. Uh, The court won't hear arguments now again until November 26. Hopefully she'll be back for those. Ginsburg, for the record, has already hired clerks for the term that extends into 2020, suggesting she has no plans to retire. We can only hope her... um, health agrees with that oh and uh let's see in other court news a federal court uh, court of appeals ruled on thursday that donald trump cannot immediately end the so-called dreamers act or daca that shields them from uh shields uh, young undocumented immigrants from deportation who were uh, brought to this country as children The court said the administration's decision to phase out DACA was arbitrary because it was based on a flawed legal theory in the uh, Thursday unanimous ruling from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Judge Kim Wardlaw said California and other plaintiffs were likely to succeed with their claim that the decision to end DACA was arbitrary and capricious. The decision makes it more likely that the Supreme Court will ultimately settle this question. 
The Trump administration has now asked the justices to move quickly to add it to their docket for this term. The Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, DACA, was begun in 2012 by President Barack Obama and has protected some 700,000 people brought to this country as children. The administration moved to end the program, the Trump administration, uh, in 2017, shortly after Trump took office, claiming that it was probably unlawful and that they could just not defend it in court. But a number of courts around the country have ruled otherwise and that the administration's reasoning was incorrect and kept the program in place. Like the other courts, the panel on Thursday in the Ninth Circuit did not question the administration's power to end the program, but faulted its approach in doing so. The panel of judges flatly rejected the administration's position that courts lacked the power to review the executive branch's immigration actions. Essentially, the administration has been arguing that whether you like it or not, we get to do anything we want and the courts have absolutely no say in the matter. Well, so far, the courts have argued that is absolutely not the case. Okay, and uh, then there's uh, Donald Trump firing Jeff Sessions on Wednesday. We mentioned it uh, on yesterday's program, the day after the election, as we'd predicted would happen. And uh, the question's about now whether the man tapped by Donald Trump to become acting AG, a Trump loyalist by the name of Matthew Whitaker, who was on hand for that Supreme Court ceremony on Thursday, whether he can even legally oversee the Robert Mueller special counsel investigation, which he is now said to be doing uh, instead of a duly Senate confirmed official such as Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. He had been overseeing the probe, but uh, as of now, in theory, we don't know, but in theory, he would no longer be doing so. And in the normal chain of succession, if a, uh, a an attorney general is fired or that office is vacated for some other reason, normal chain of custody says the acting AG would be the deputy attorney general, Rod Rosenstein. Instead, the not Senate confirmed and wildly conflicted Whitaker is now doing so. Whitaker had been. Jeff Sessions' chief of staff after being a Republican operative for years, who, as an operative, had criticized the Mueller investigation before joining the DOJ as Sessions' um, chief of staff. He had said that that uh, probe should be shut down, yet he is now the acting attorney general of the United States with a career that is 100 percent thanks to Donald Trump the man being investigated by that special counsel probe, the one that Whitaker could now shut down if he feels like it. And one more item that uh, that frankly will not be covering uh, much of today, unfortunately, other than with a quick wave. The White House, as you have hope, hopefully heard by now, has barred CNN's Jim Acosta from covering the White House. That after Trump got into a tiff with him during Trump's rather bonkers post-election news conference on Wednesday in the wake of the bad news that his party had lost control of the U.S. House and with it, apparently the president has lost whatever control he had of himself and started going after uh, one uh, 
reporter in this press conference after another. Des, do you have this? You got a yes. Uh, here's this. here's some of what he said. And just a reminder: the first voice you hear is Yamish Alcindor, uh, African American reporter from PBS NewsHour. On the campaign trail, you called yourself a nationalist. Some people saw that as emboldening white nationalists. Now people are also saying that the president... I don't know why you'd say that. Pres- that's such a racist There's question. Some- let me tell you, that's a racist question. Honestly, uh, I think you should let me run the country. You run CNN. All right. And if you did it well, your ratings well, let me would be ask, much if better. I, if I may okay, ask that's one enough. other question, Mr. President, if I may... That's enough. That's Mr. enough. President, that's add- enough. You are a rude, terrible person. You shouldn't be working... For CNN. I'll tell you what, CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. He's a diligent reporter who busts Well, I'm not a big fan of, of yours either, so. I you understand. Know, the thank you very much. Why sit, are you. Sit down. Peter. But the question. Sit down. I didn't call you. I didn't call you. I'll give you voter suppression. Presenters very hostile. Uh, it's such a hostile media. It's so sad. Just a quick montage of our out-of-control president at a press conference at the White House on Wednesday, the day after the midterm elections. The uh, So Acosta, who you heard uh, very momentarily there, he has now been barred from covering the White House after that press conference. White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders is now blatantly lying and claiming that Acosta was barred because he manhandled a White House intern, a young woman, during that tiff, which was all on camera and clearly shows that he did not lay a hand on the young woman who was trying to take the microphone from him. So uh, now Trump is moving on the Justice Department's special counsel probe against him and could end it at any moment. He is now barring longtime mainstream White House correspondents from covering the White House. It remains to be seen what the rest of the corporate media will do at this point. But frankly, they should not show up to cover anything at all, in my opinion, at the White House until Acosta's credentials are restored. And uh, Democrats, who I've I've heard from today, complaining about, uh, you know, Democrats and whether Nancy Pelosi should be the next Speaker of the House or not, might I suggest to you, please prioritize your outrage at this moment in American history. Please pay attention to what is going on. All right. There is your mostly non-election-related news headlines, most of which are, as I said, being covered elsewhere, uh, even as the attempt to oversee results from those Tuesday critical midterm elections. Uh, The attempts to count ballots and make sure every ballot is counted somehow continues, and there are now huge questions about some of those results in Florida, in Arizona, in Georgia and elsewhere. So, as I said, I actually canceled my planned guest today at the last minute because there's so much going on. But I want to make sure that all of this gets properly covered or even at all amidst all of this madness with the clock ticking for certification of these elections on Tuesday and the tallying of ballots and recounts and legal action coming in several states. So let me take a breather here. We'll come back with some big development, uh, developing news out of all three of those states, Georgia, Arizona, Florida, uh, and some others. But on those three states regarding gubernatorial and U.S. Senate races now hanging in the balance, including some clips, I hope, from a remarkable news conference today out of Atlanta. That's all ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The House Democratic majority continued to grow on Thursday as Georgia Congresswoman Karen Handel, the Republican, former Republican Secretary of State of Georgia, who won a high-profile special election to the U.S. House last year, conceded to Democratic challenger Lucy McBath, bringing the party's net gain, the Democratic Party's net gain of seats in Tuesday's midterm elections to 31 at this point, according to NBC. That number could continue to grow in the coming days as more outstanding races uh, are to be called. Uh, Some uh, analysts have estimated that the number will climb closer to 38 seats for the Democrats. By the time all the votes are tabulated, there are still dozens of competitive House contests that remain too close to call, uh, at least by midday on Thursday. By way of comparison to those 38 seats the Democrats could pick up, Democrats won just 31 House seats back in 2006. Remember that wave election, which was huge? George W. Bush, the president at the time, called it a thumping. Well, now Democrats could pick up as many as 38 Congresswoman Handel, uh, whose race was also disputed that special U.S. House election last year against John Ossoff. There was also questions about those results. In any event, she congratulated uh, McBath, Lucy McBath, an African-American Democrat who got involved in political activism after her 17-year-old son was fatally shot by a white man in an incident that drew national attention some years ago. She'll be the first Democrat to represent the district, including parts of North Atlanta, since the Jimmy Carter administration. This is the seat that was uh, held for many, many years by uh, then Republican House Speaker Newt Gingrich. And then it was held held by Tom Price, Donald Trump's first Health and Human Services secretary, who resigned in disgrace from that job. Uh, amid scandal last year. So the seat of Newt Gingrich and Tom Price and then Karen Handel will now be held by Lucy McBath, um, an African-American Democrat. In the neighboring 7th district in Georgia, that race is still surprisingly close, had some questions on election night that election officials uh, described as data entry errors. That race is still very close with Republican Congressman Rob Woodall uh, holding a very narrow lead over Carolyn Bordeaux, the Democrat. Uh, That uh, outcome remains unclear in Georgia as well. In a few other races that have also been called, at least by media and or candidates running in them or getting close to it, 
Uh, out here in California, Congressman Steve Knight, uh, the, the uh, Republican, conceded the L.A. area congressional district that includes Ronald the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. That's Simi Valley. Very Republican area. He conceded his race to a 31-year-old Democratic challenger, Katie Hill, in Orange County, California. Democrat Harley Ruda is still up against Congressman Dana Rohrbach, derided by many as Vladimir Putin's favorite congressman. We'll keep our eyes on that. And Democrat Mike Levin is ahead in the neighboring district formerly occupied by the retiring Republican Congressman Daryl Issa. Those races, however, are still considered too close to call, but it looks like two very Republican, once very Republican seats could be flipped to Democrats. They also lead in a number of too close to call races in New Jersey, in Maine, in New Mexico and in Utah, where former Salt Lake County Mayor Ben McAdams is currently beating Congresswoman Mia Love of Utah, a Republican who amazingly Donald Trump trashed during his bonkers news conference at the White House on Wednesday. That's going on in uh, some of those House races that we're continuing to watch. Meantime, boy, uh, some of these Senate and uh, uh, governor's races are just blowing up here at the moment, as I kind of thought they would. Uh, Florida's governor's race, uh, for the first time, appears now to be heading to a recount, according to the latest reported results there. Now, the Florida Secretary of State's election results website has been crashed or otherwise unaccessible in the past hour or two. So I'm going from Politico reporter Mark Caputo's numbers here. He's a great Florida reporter. He says the margin of error, uh, the uh, margin of uh, supposed uh, victory at, or the vote count at this point between Congressman Ron DeSantis, the Republican, and the Democrat Andrew Gillum is now down to 0.47. That would be below the 0.5 percentage point uh, trigger for a recount in the state of Florida. So this would be the first time, if these numbers hold, that there would be a statewide recount for governor in the great state of Florida. Now, if it's below 0.5 percent, then that triggers a, an automatic machine recount across the state. In other words, they run the paper ballots used across much of the state of Florida through the same machines that counted them either correctly or incorrectly the first time. Who knows? But that would happen. But if it gets down to lower than 0.25, then that would trigger an automatic hand recount in Florida. So right now, the margin, at least as far as I'm able to figure out, is just below uh, 0.5 at 0.47. And theoretically, it looks like it is still falling, falling in favor of Gillum, the Democrat here. So all of this is why I mentioned yesterday that I had no idea why Andrew Gillum seemed to rush, rush to concede his race on Tuesday night before the media had even called it. And believe me, the media rushes enough to call these races. 
But they hadn't even called it yet. And yet Gillum, for some reason, a very popular candidate who ran a hell of a good uh, campaign in, in Florida, seemed like he could not wait to concede. Nonetheless, a concession has no actual legal or official meeting, meaning uh, if uh, if the race in Florida meets the threshold for an automatic recount, then that will happen despite Gillum's concession. Uh, last night, I started seeing information that Gillum had realized that, yes, the gap, I think it was when we were on air yesterday, it was 0.6 by that time, by the time we went on air, but that that was narrowing and that he was suddenly... Uh, I saw that he was suddenly seemed to be getting interested uh, in making <laughs> sure that voters uh, who voted, uh, w- w- that their votes were actually counted. And in particular, what is called uh, a, the, a conditional provisional ballot in the state of Florida, that all of those got counted. I spoke with some folks in Florida today to clarify this there. So there's provisional ballots. You know what those are if people are not. Uh, registered or not showing up as registered. Everyone has a right to cast a provisional ballot, and afterwards they check to see if that person was, in fact, properly registered and should be allowed to vote, and if so, those ballots are theoretically then tabulated. But there's also conditional provisional in the state of Florida, which is what happens when a properly registered voter shows up to vote but forgot to bring the proper ID that is now required to vote in Florida. If so, they can cast a conditional provisional ballot, but then they have to go and cure it by showing up at county headquarters with their ID to prove they are who they said they were. So all of a sudden, uh, last night, Gillum got very interested in uh, people making sure that if they voted that way, they showed up uh, to get their votes counted. And then there's also, of course, the fight over which provisional, regular provisional ballots should or shouldn't be counted, uh, which absentee ballots were inappropriately rejected or even tallied at all. As some absentee vote by mail voters have been reporting that they sent in their ballots in plenty of time. Uh, but that the county or the secretary of state's website is showing those ballots as not having been processed. So there's much concern about that. So uh, there are there was time. I don't know if there will be uh, by now, but there was time to cure those ballots before the deadline. I believe it was 5 p.m. on Thursday, which is a ridiculously needlessly short time. Nonetheless, the Gillum campaign has, in fact, now noticed. They put out a statement today saying that on Tuesday night, the Gillum for Governor campaign operated with the best information available about the number of outstanding ballots left to count. Since that time, it has become clear there are many more uncounted ballots than was originally reported. Our campaign, they say, along with uh, their attorney, are monitoring the situation closely and is ready for any outcome, including a state-mandated recount. Mayor Gillum, they write, started his campaign for the people, and we are committed to ensuring every single vote in Florida is counted. Good. Uh, One way he might have been able to help that along was by demanding that on election night, but so be it. That race could now be heading 
for a statewide recount, either by machine or by hand. Also, Senator Bill Nelson of Florida will likely have a recount in his race against the termed-out Florida Governor Rick Scott, who's running against him for the U.S. Senate. That race has also now decreased in its margin, with uh, the Republican Scott now leading Nelson reportedly by just 0.22%. That, if it remains below the 0.25 trigger, that would trigger a hand recount across the state of Florida. A hand recount across the entire state, which, hey, would they maybe go ahead and count the Gillum race as well while they're at it? Well, uh, they wouldn't hand recount it uh, because Florida is very strict about this. As a matter of fact, it's illegal to hand count a paper ballot without getting a court approval in the state of Florida, even Even, by a a county administrator. Even if they're looking at that ballot right then and there, they are not allowed to look at the Gillum race. Right. That's right. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, Mark Caputo, again, of Politico, also notes that there's something very strange happening in Broward County. And I spoke with someone in Broward County today who also said this to me. Uh, Caputo notes that he has never seen. He's been reporting in Florida for years and years and years. He says he has never seen a top of ticket uh, U.S. Senate race get fewer votes than every other statewide race on the ballot in Broward County. That is apparently what happened. Apparently, he notes, more voters wanted to weigh in on governor and attorney general and state's chief financial officer and state agriculture commissioner than wanted to weigh in in the U.S. Senate race. Really? A lot less, uh, about uh, 26,000 here uh, compared to those other races um, actually voted in the uh, senator's race. Uh, He says, uh, how can the U.S. Senate race have more votes statewide than the three Florida cabinet races, but fewer votes in Broward County? He says there are issues in Broward County. We can't say that it cost Senator Nelson the race. Right now he is uh, trailing by uh, 17,300 votes across the state, statewide. Um, But if the Broward governor uh, race totals were applied to the Senate race, Nelson would trail only by 0.09%. He says, so this is very big. He also notes that it's not just the U.S. Senate. It's not just the governor's race in Florida. But there could be four other statewide recounts across the state of Florida. Unprecedented six recounts could happen in the state of Florida. The agriculture commissioner, two uh, state house seats and a state Senate seat. And uh, the nation's uh, biggest swing state will have to somehow figure out how to count in those six different races, all of these so-called recounts, whether they're by machine or hand, and I say so-called recounts because they haven't really been counted by human beings in the first place. They've been tallied by computers. Uh, all of those so-called recounts in Florida would be overseen by <clears throat> Governor Rick Scott's hand-picked Secretary of State, Ken Detzner, 
because in uh, Florida, the <clears throat> the governor personally chooses their own secretary of state. So Ken Detzner, who has worked with Rick Scott for years to try and purge hundreds of thousands of perfectly legal voters from the state's voting rolls, um, even leading to an uprising, a mutiny by uh, many of the state's election county uh, supervisors of, of, of elections, uh, Ken Detzner would o- be overseeing all of this and including for his still current boss, uh, Rick Scott, who's running for the U.S. Senate. The guy to whom he owes his entire career at this moment. Yep, there's that. Moving from Florida now out to Arizona with uh, the Arizona Senate race between Republican Martha McSally and Democrat Kirsten Cinema. At stake and incredibly close as well. Republicans today announced that they were suing county recorders in the state of Arizona in order to prevent them from contacting voters after Election Day in order to allow those voters to cure what officials in those counties believe to be mismatched signatures on some absentee ballots, signatures that don't uh, match, according to these non-handwriting experts, that don't match their uh, the uh, signatures on file, on their registration file. But the Republicans are trying to stop these county registrars from doing so. This after Maricopa's county recorder, Adrian Fontes, who is a Democrat, he's doing exactly that. Uh, For years, the election chief apparently in Maricopa, which is the state's largest county, did not do that. Uh, She was replaced last year by Fontes, and he is now doing so. But Republicans claim he cannot do so because election code only allows that to be done up until Election Day, they claim. Nonetheless, other counties like Pima County which is a very Democratic-leaning county, unlike uh, Maricopa, which is supposedly Republican-leaning. Pima has been doing this for years, and the GOP has not complained about it. They say that all ballots must be treated the same. All right, so fine. All counties should be doing what Maricopa is now doing, what Pima has been doing for years, and other uh, counties have been doing without a complaint from Republicans. Nonetheless... Uh, Speaking of uh, Maricopa and that U.S. Senate race, which remains incredibly close, a uh, a memo that was um, put out last night by Vaughn Hilliard of NBC News. uh, Notes taken, apparently, uh, according to conversations that were held between the Republican McSally campaign and the Democratic Cinema campaign and recorder Fontes in um, in Maricopa, as well as his data guy, his data guru. Um, this was a conversation at the Arizona Secretary of State's office where they said uh, on Wednesday, we will be able to say tomorrow night, A, McSally is likely to pull off the victory. B, this race is absurdly close. C, cinema is likely to pull off the victory. Did I, did I did I just hear you right? You that did. you just basically yeah. said that uh, that they could both pull off the victory. They could both pull off the victory. Why? Because there are still an estimated six hundred and fifty thousand uncounted ballots across the state of Arizona. In Maricopa County alone, four hundred and ninety-two thousand ballots must still be counted, according to Fontes. 
um, cinema stands a uh, shot to make up the uh, what was the current uh, margin last night of 0.9 percent. That's just 15,000, 16,000 votes. Uh, she stands to make up those numbers uh, big time once all of these ballots are counted in Maricopa, these early ballots. Uh, none of which have apparently yet been counted. I spoke with uh, an expert in um, our friend John Brakey, who's a longtime election integrity champion uh, down there in Arizona. He says this is perfectly normal. This is how uh, the state has been counting votes for years, that in fact they do count early and absentee ballots um, uh, before Election Day, but then they cut it off a few days right before the election so that uh, officials can prepare for Election Day, which ends up uh, leaving hundreds of thousands of early and absentee ballots that don't actually get counted until much later. So right now in Maricopa, uh, there are roughly 160,000 votes. um, I'm sorry, there's, uh, what did I say, Uh, 490-something thousand in Maricopa. There's another 160,000 in other counties including 70 to 80,000 uncounted early ballots, 18,000 uncounted ballots in Pima County, which cinema currently leads McSally by more than 13 points. So there could be a lot of uh, votes for the Democrat there. Cinema needs to uh, beat McSally overall by something close to a 52 to 48 margin across the state. Uh, in order to win, that now appears to be completely doable. Whether whether it happens or not, that's another question. But yes, we will continue to watch that. Finally, in Georgia, Republican Secretary of State and gubernatorial candidate overseeing his own election, that would be Brian Kemp, his own election for governor against Democratic uh, candidate Stacey Abrams. Uh, Kemp declared he was the victor. He just declared victory on Thursday in that very tight race against Abrams, and he announced his resignation as Secretary of State at the same time. That announcement, however, comes far too late for many Democrats who have been crying foul in Georgia after months of voter suppression tactics by Kemp, four-hour-long lines for uh, many voters. On Tuesday, in certain areas, particularly Democratic and African-American areas where there weren't enough voting machines and the folks were trying to vote for African-American Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams. Right now, Brian Kemp has 50.3 percent of the vote. Stacey Abrams has 48.7 percent, according to the Secretary of State Brian Kemp's website. That's just 0.3 percent above what would trigger a runoff in that race because there was a third candidate, a libertarian candidate. Abrams' legal team, and as far as I can tell, uh, they are the dream team, frankly, that I have been waiting for for years from a candidate challenging an election like this. Uh, says they are going to fight like hell to make sure every vote gets counted. They held a press conference today in Atlanta, noting there are still thousands of unprocessed provisional ballots, thousands of unprocessed uh, absentee ballots, rejected absentee ballots that maybe shouldn't have been, supposed undervotes that are not explained, where there's no vote at all for governor. 
So uh, they are asking that all of these votes be treated like the military and overseas ballots that ca- that are still coming in that can come in as late as Friday. They vowed at a press conference over and over that they do not plan to stop until every vote is counted and or accounted for. They threaten legal actions. Here's just a few of the questions and answers from today's press conference with Abrams' legal team. Uh, yes, this, this is, is Abrams' campaign chair, mm-hmm. Allegra Lawrence Hardy, and then the next voice after that is her campaign campaign manager Lauren Grow Wargo. Yesterday there were you could look on the website and it would say 100% reporting and then we see new numbers today. So we will we are in this race until we are convinced that every vote is counted. That is my answer. So we're we're prepared for this fight until every vote is counted. He made a statement that there were roughly 20 some odd thousand votes left to count but even if this campaign were to receive 100% of them, it would not be enough to send us to a run. So what do you say to that? Are you saying that the information that they have is incorrect? Um, Would you challenge it? We have seen no list of provisional ballots. We have been told there was no early vote left, yet Cobb County reported as they were moving through to this press conference that there were additional votes. I neglected to mention another problematic piece of data. There are four counties, Bibb, Tolifer, Floyd, and Coffey, who reported more advanced early vote numbers going into election day than ended up being reported in the returns. We all know there is undervoting. I do not believe until we have evidence that 2,200 voters in those four counties were undervotes. That is, that those folks went in, voted early in person, and then skipped the governor's race. But that's right now what the data shows. The Secretary of State, Brian Kemp, owes voters an explanation, not just words or a press conference or a paper release from his campaign. We need to see lists, we need to see names, We need to see counts of every single vote. We don't even know what the nomenclature is. Is that a provisional? Is that an emergency? Did the provisional emergency ballot version get counted in the the absentee room on election day? Or is that part of the 22,000? These are answers that fall at the feet of Brian Kemp. He decided to not resign. He decided to oversee his own election. That was not our choice. He owns this, and he owes the people of Georgia an explanation. Brian Kemp and his campaign decided last night that they had the evidence to declare themselves victorious. I challenge Brian Kemp and his campaign and his staff to go find the voters who waited in four, four hour lines in the rain with their children and explain to them why this is credible. Have him go around and do his bus tour on taxpayer dollars again and explain to voters why he is victorious. Go to those 236 Abrams voters in Cobb County who just this morning had their votes counted. This is about the integrity of the elections in the state of Georgia. Brian Kemp just can't walk away from that. Our governor just can't walk away from that. This is so much more than about Stacey Abrams. This is about the 
hundreds of thousands and millions of voters who believed in our system and showed up to cast a ballot. And press releases do not declare victory. We put this at the feet of Brian Kemp. This is on him. This is not to the hardworking men and women who have been there trying to process these absentee ballots in the counties. This is not on them. I want them to hear me clearly. The Stacey Abrams campaign puts us at the feet of the Secretary of State's office, who has not done its job to provide basic guidance. Just uh, some of the response from the Stacey Abrams legal team at their press conference in Atlanta on uh, Thursday, vowing to get every vote counted and to hold Secretary of State Brian Kemp accountable uh, for this horrific system of running elections in the state of Georgia, even during his own election, attempted election uh, to the uh, highest office in the state. Uh, the uh, governor of the state of Georgia, the uh, those uh, uh, the, that le- her legal team are asking voters concerned that their ballots may not have been accurately processed to contact them immediately. They've set up a voter protection hotline at 888-730-5816. That's 888-730-5816. Or you can email voterprotection at stacyabrams.com if you in Georgia and you're concerned your ballot was not tallied accurately. What a mess. We'll continue to uh, to figure it out and report as much as any of us can figure out uh, on all of these races in the days ahead. Got to take a quick break and we'll be back with Green News Report. Uh, also on the midterms, I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. By the way, I should have mentioned in that last segment, the only ballots they can really fight to, uh, to properly count are paper ballots cast in Georgia absentees and provisionals and so forth. Because on Election Day at the polling places across the entire state, they use 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems made by Diebold back in 2001 that have been hacked. I don't know how many times that Brian Kemp fought like hell in order to use once again this year 
instead of allowing every voter to vote on paper ballots. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with only enough time to get to (laughs) our latest Green News report. It's been a night of victories and it's been a night of some painful losses. Green News report special coverage, big wins and losses for the environment in the 2018 midterm elections. I sincerely hope that someday soon the Committee on Science will cease lecturing and harassing scientists. Yup, science to return to the U.S. House Science Committee. But Goliath strides around crushing these things with overwhelming force. Big oil's big money overwhelms state energy ballot initiatives. All of those big stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. So environmental is very important to me. Yep, putting the mental in environmental. This is your... Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I don't know that there's any other way to say it other than good news and bad news for the environment from Tuesday's big midterm elections. Yep, the midterm elections are over and the battleground is coming into view for the environment and public health over the next two years. Mixed results in energy-related ballot propositions in several states, but overall, the Democrats seizing the majority in the U.S. House of Representatives is good news for science and for oversight of the anti-environment Trump administration. It can't hurt. Gaining the U.S. House majority means that Democrats will control committees starting in January, and that means controlling what legislation advances in the House or doesn't, like attacks on the environment or public lands. It also means oversight and more pushback against Trump agencies' attempts to roll back climate and pollution regulations. It also means not dragging in scientists and haranguing them in the middle of these U.S. House hearings. Exactly. The House Science Committee will no longer be run by a climate science denier. Hooray! Democratic Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson of Texas, the first registered nurse in Congress, is likely to be the Science Committee's new chair. That's the first time in 10 years it will be led by someone who accepts mainstream climate science. Nice. The bipartisan House Climate Solutions Caucus has fallen apart after half of its Republicans lost their races. Although the Republicans tended to use the Climate Caucus for cover while blocking action in practice, it does mark a significant drop in the number of moderate congressional Republicans who publicly accept the need to act on dangerous man-made climate change. For ballot initiatives in the states, big oil's big money won big. The fossil fuel industry spent record amounts, at least $100 million nationwide, to kill ballot measures that would have curbed fracking and mining, expanded renewables, and created the nation's first ever carbon emissions fee. Well, free speech, as long as you have billions and billions of dollars to buy it. They have a lot more free speech than the rest of us do. Yep. In Colorado, voters rejected a proposition that would have required fracking wells to be placed further away from homes and schools after the oil and gas industry outspent organizers 40 to 1. Mm. But Colorado also voted down a sneaky constitutional amendment that would have shielded the oil and gas industry from regulations and allowed the industry to sue the state for any losses resulting from any restrictions 
regulations or regulations on fossil fuel exploration. So the public figured that one out at least. Yes. In Alaska, the mining and oil industries also spent big to defeat a measure that would have protected the state's billion-dollar salmon fisheries from mining and drilling pollution. Mm. In Washington state, big oil killed the really big one, spending a record $31 million to crush Initiative 1631, the state's second attempt to enact the country's first-ever carbon emissions fee, a really mild one on big polluters. That's weird. Uh, I thought ExxonMobil was in favor of a carbon tax. Didn't they spend millions and millions in support of the Washington measure? No, they didn't. The Hmm. exact opposite. It's like they're just lying about supporting a carbon tax or something. In Arizona, the utility industry laid out $31 million to successfully defeat an amendment requiring them to get 50% of their electricity from renewable sources by 2030. Yet over in Nevada, voters approved a similar mandate to get 50% renewable energy by 2030. Well, win some, lose some. In Florida, voters approved a measure to ban offshore oil and gas drilling and also ban vaping indoors in the same initiative... Because Florida. Finally, California voters rejected an attempt to repeal an increase to the state's gas tax that's now funding repairs to roads, bridges and infrastructure. So there's that. So there's that. At least California voters didn't fall for the nonsense. Nope. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. I can't find comfort in the fact that it could be worse. Yeah, that's where we are. It could be worse. It it could definitely be worse. This is true. I'm glad it's not. No comfort in that, though. Uh, Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's Bradcast or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or your favorite uh, podcast site, wherever that may be. Wherever you download it, I hope you'll uh, uh, leave us a, a nice comment or a nice rating. Make it a little bit easier for everyone else in the world to oh, find yes. the broadcast. That definitely does help. Thank you. Or even a not nice comment. Whatever. <laughs> uh, we're just glad to hear from you. You can also drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Brad Blog. I hope you will find, follow, and uh, share what we do here via the Twitters and the Facebooks. And my thanks to those of you who help keep us going by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. We don't have political support. We don't have corporate support. We, we don't have, have big oil support. We ain't got that nothing. Right. We got you. Uh, thank you for those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. For a donation of any amount you like or a monthly uh, automated subscription of any amount you like. We try to keep the show free for everyone, but we can't do it without you. So thank you in advance for that. Okay, I think that's it. Angie Coiro is in for us tomorrow. Wish her luck. We will be back with you thereafter. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.